everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I keep getting so many requests from you guys to talk more about pharmacology, and I am feeling your pain because pharmacology was a tough class, and I feel really lucky because my professor taught it as an open book class where we had tough quizzes, but they were all open book and online. I can't imagine having to feel like I needed to memorize that much information. So I hope this helps you out because today we are going to be talking about pharmacology and we'll be talking about alteplase. You may also have heard it called TPA or cath flow activase, but most of the time you'll hear it called TPA or alteplase. And basically what this is, if you're not familiar with it yet, this is that clot-busting drug best known for its use in ischemic stroke. But there's actually other uses for TPA that you might see in the acute care setting. So let's talk about what those are. Essentially, there are five different uses that you'll see TPA prescribed for in the acute care setting. So we talked about ischemic stroke, so that's one. The next thing that you might see it used for is a myocardial infarction. You may also see it used for pulmonary embolism. And then the fourth way you may see it used is simply to unclot central line catheters that are no longer usable. You wanna keep those lines clear and you actually use TPA to do that. And then the fifth way that you'll see it used in the clinical setting is for acute limb ischemia. So your patient has a blood clot that is in the artery, so it's blocking blood flow to the limb. That will definitely need to be lysed or declotted, otherwise the patient's at high risk for losing the limb. TPA or alteplase is a thrombolytic drug. So you're not going to be giving a thrombolytic, a drug that breaks down blood clots and makes it difficult to clot if the patient is at risk for bleeding or is actively bleeding. So let's say you've got a patient, let's just talk about stroke first because that is the area where you will see it used the absolute most. Let's say you've got a patient that comes in with stroke symptoms and one of the first things that you'll do, let's say you're a nurse working down in the emergency room, is you're going to figure out when was their last time seen normal. And if it's been within three hours, now there may be some studies out there that are pushing this out, but let's say for now, if it's been within three hours and they don't have any contraindications, then you're going to go ahead and anticipate that the doc could order TPA for this patient. So we talked about risk of bleeding. Definitely, that would be a contraindication, but there is a whole bunch of other ones. So the first thing you do when a patient comes in with those stroke-like symptoms, one of the first things anyways, get them into the CT scanner so that you can see if they are actually having a stroke from a bleed. So remember, there's two types of strokes. There's the clot type stroke the ischemic type, and then there's the bleed type or the hemorrhagic stroke. So you want to make sure that they're not having a hemorrhagic stroke because if you gave TPA to this person, that would be absolutely the most devastating thing that could be done. So you'll send your patient to CT scan, and if that CT scan is negative, if you hear someone say the phrase, the scan was negative, what they mean is they don't mean it was negative for stroke, that this patient hasn't had a stroke. What they mean is the CT scan was negative for a bleed in the brain. 
okay? So you want to have that negative CT scan, and then you want to try to get as much patient history as you can. Maybe you can get some of it from the patient. More likely, you may be getting it from whoever brought them into the emergency room. So you would ask about recent intracranial, intraspinal surgery, any serious head injuries, or any previous stroke. Okay, so these are the contraindications again. You would also want to assess for any history of intracranial hemorrhage, any aneurysms, AVMs, those arteriovenous malformations that can bleed very easily, or any uh, neoplasms in the brain, any cancerous tumors or growths in the brain. If the patient had a seizure at the time of a stroke, the Altaplase website indicates that as a contraindication. If the patient is actively bleeding, then you're not going to be giving TPA to someone like that, most likely. If the patient has taken oral anticoagulants, like say they're taking Coumadin, or you check their INR, because that's one of the things you're going to do right away is check their coags, their INR, their PT, their PTT. If their INR is above 1.7-ish or their PT is above 15, maybe your facility has different standards. These are the standards that the Ultiplase, uh drug guide puts out, then that would be a contraindication. If they've had heparin within about two days or... Um, Elevated PTT at presentation. Now, when I say heparin within 48 hours or two days, that's what the all to place people are saying on their drug guide. Be aware that sometimes a patient will be getting a heparin infusion, will stop the infusion, give the TPA, and then in some cases start that heparin infusion right back up. So different protocols for different things. So just know that that could vary. You may see different information there. If your patient... I almost said platelet because I'm talking about platelets now. If your patient's platelets are below 100,000, that would be very risky for them to have TPA. And also, if their blood pressure is uncontrolled, above 185 systolic or about 110 diastolic is kind of the areas where they start to look at it, that would be dangerous to give a patient like that TPA because they've got high blood pressure and now they have a high risk for bleed and that can cause really bad things to happen in your brain. So a lot of times they'll try to get that blood pressure down before they give the TPA. And typically how we do it, I think I want to say nicardipine. I forget if it's a calcium channel blocker that is the first line or if it's a beta blocker. But I want to say what I mostly see in the intensive care unit is that nicardipine continuous infusion where you can very carefully titrate it and keep the blood pressure nice and stable. Stroke. The dosings for each indication are a little bit different, so I'm not really going to go through that with you here because it's not going to make any sense to you. And honestly, it doesn't really make any sense to me until I'm actually at the bedside doing it. If I worked in the ED, I'd probably have it completely memorized because I'd be giving this TPA for stroke all the time. But all that said and done, what you need to know is that for a heart attack, or an ischemic stroke, most likely how the TPA will be administered is with a bolus dose and then the continuous infusion for a period of an hour or total or something around there. Um, and stroke, it's like 90 minutes overall after that bolus dose. 
So just being aware that there's typically a two-parter to this, a bolus and then the follow-up of the rest of the infusion. Now with pulmonary embolism, the way Alteplase suggests you give it is as a dose over two hours. So 100 milligrams over two hours. So let's say you've got a patient and you're giving them the TPA. What are you going to watch for? How are you going to provide nursing care to this patient? And how are you going to keep them safe? So there's a lot of things that you're going to be doing to make sure your patient is safe when they're getting TPA. So in order for the patient to get TPA, they have to be consented. So it's not like, you know, we give antibiotics, whatever, you come into the hospital, we are, you have given us your express consent for the medications that you're going to need to make you well. But TPA is such a hardcore drug that the patient will be consented for its administration. So the physician will talk to the family or the patient if the patient's with it about what the risks are, the benefits, and all of those things, and hopefully explain to them how carefully they're going to be monitored. And then when they provide the consent, the drug is given, and then that patient will always be under critical care observation. So in my intensive care unit, TPA automatically makes that patient a one-to-one, which means one patient, one nurse. And that's because you are going to be doing a lot of assessments and you're going to be doing them very frequently. And it can take up pretty much all of your time to do the assessment. Then you chart your assessment and then you're back to doing your assessment again, plus watching for all the other things that could potentially go wrong. So let's say you're giving your TPA for stroke. Well, one of the things that we do to measure the efficacy of the TPA or the worsening of stroke symptoms is called the NIH stroke scale. And this is something you will get to know very well if you don't already know about it. And what this is, is it's a test that assesses the patient's neurological status in a way that's pretty standardized and that any patient, they say any patient can, you can get a score from any patient. I find it difficult in the critical care setting to always make that case. And you'll understand why when I tell you a little bit about the test. So the NIH stroke scale can take a little while to do, which is why this patient, by the time you finish your first one and you have to do your next one, not much time has gone by, and I'm not even kidding. So while the patient is getting the infusion, they're going to get first a baseline NIH before the infusion. And then while they're getting it, they're going to get the NIH stroke scale assessment every 15 minutes. So honestly, that's about enough time to do the assessment and then chart it, and then you're turning right back around and doing it again. So it's a whole bunch of questions and a whole bunch of things for the patient to do. But for example, one of the first things is you want to ask them to follow two instructions, like close your eyes really tight, make a fist and open your hands, something like that. You want to ask them questions. Uh, what's your birthday? What's your name? You want, to, you want to see that they can get these answers correct. You're going to test their ability to hold their limbs up off the bed 
for a count of 10. I think with the legs, it's a count of five because that's a little harder to do. You're going to test for sensation. You're going to test for visual acuity. You're going to have them repeat words, read words. You're going to have them look at this picture of this mom in a kitchen and she's washing the dishes and the sink is overflowing and the kids are sneaking into a cabinet to get some cookies and the stool they've climbed up on is falling over. So you want to show them that picture and say, hey, what's happening in this picture and see that they can tell you what's happening in the picture. And then there's another one where you ask them to name objects. It's a picture of a like a hand or a glove, um, a hammock, which I have found to not be the most culturally cross-representational item. A lot of people don't know what a hammock is. So there's that. Uh, one is a key, but it's one of those old-fashioned, I believe it's one of those old-fashioned like skeleton-type keys, which is kind of weird. And there's a cactus, I believe, and a chair or something like that. So just like random, standard, everyday-ish objects. So you go through this whole thing and then you do it again 15 minutes later. So you're going to do that while the infusion is going in. And then it's every 30 minutes for six hours. And if you think you're tired at the end of that six hours, think about how tired your patient is. They're probably exhausted. You're waking them up every 30 minutes to do this test and it can be really exhausting. And then it's not done. After that, you're going to be checking their neurostatus and doing the NIH stroke scale every hour until you reach the 24-hour mark. So that first 24 hours for anyone who's had a stroke is one of the most exhausting times of their lives. They are sick. They're in the hospital. They're being woken every hour. And I'm not kidding. They can get a little goofy just from sleep deprivation and the constant interruption of their sleep cycle. So you have to have a little bit of care in realizing What's them just being goofy because I woke them from a deep sleep and they haven't slept more than 45 minutes at a time in 20 hours versus are they having neurological changes? So my tip for that is wake the patient gently and don't just dive right into the questions. Give them a moment to wake up. Also, before we start this whole adventure of TPA and the constant assessments, I make sure that they know why we're doing it, how frequent it is, when that frequency ends, so they can have, you know, kind of in their head, okay, I just got to get through tomorrow at six o'clock. Um, I let them know what we're watching for and why. And most of the time, people understand that you're making sure they're not bleeding into their brain. So, you know, I might say, okay, it's time to wake up and let me check your brain so that they know it's for their safety. And people are generally agreeable, but they do get tired. And I would be cranky, to be honest, I would. So if they get a little cranky, don't take it personally. They're just, they're just absolutely exhausted. So you're going to be doing that. You're also going to be watching for other things that could indicate neuro changes, like a sudden onset headache. 
Any headache, actually, with TPA administration has to be explored and taken very seriously. Your orders will have call the doc if, and then a whole bunch of things. So headache is typically one of them. Nausea is typically one of them because any kind of neurological injury can cause nausea. Um, any massive bleeding, um, like let's say they had an IV that the paramedics put in and it's out now, but that hole is still there, right? So it might start to ooze. Well, typically you can put a compress on it and apply pressure and it will stop eventually. But if there's bleeding that you can't compress or that is from your assessment looking like it is very dangerous, like maybe their blood pressure is dropping with it, or there's just massive amounts of blood, you gotta call somebody. And your orders will have parameters on like what kind of bleeding is considered minor versus the major bleeding that you need to call somebody for. And of course, you're gonna follow those and use your best judgment and call upon your nurse friends when you're not sure. Um, retroperitoneal bleeding can be very subtle, but if your patient complains of belly pain, tightness in their belly, there's a very good chance that maybe there's some bleeding happening into their belly. So you want to keep an eye out for that blood in the urine, blood at the gums. I mean, it could just, it could come from anywhere, blood in the stool. It can be anywhere. So you want to watch for that because what you're worried about, A, is life-threatening bleeding happening somewhere in the body. You're also really worried about, is it going to happen in their brain? You also want to keep a really close eye on their blood pressure. You'll be checking their blood pressure every 15 minutes, which is also really fun for the patient um, because you want to keep the blood pressure at those safe levels and not let the patient get too hypertensive because high blood pressure combined with bleediness, and when I say bleediness, I mean bleediness that we've caused by giving them TPA or maybe they are a patient who has no platelets and they're bleedy because of that. So anytime you have bleediness and high blood pressure, you want to be very careful and very aware of your patient's neurological status. And then the other way that you'll use your TPA where you don't have to do all this other massive stuff is when you're simply clearing a central line. So patients will have central lines, pick lines, and occasionally they'll get clogged off. They shouldn't if you've been flushing per protocol, but let's just say they do and you want to keep that line nice and clear. Even if it's starting to get sluggish, your policy may be that it's time to give it the old TPA treatment. So you'll get your TPA and it will be in the fridge. And then what you do is it's this tiny little vial. It's this powdered stuff. And then TPA is always mixed with sterile water. Okay, so make sure when you grab the vial to mix up your solution that you get the sterile water vial and not the normal saline vial, which looks almost exactly like the sterile water one. And the way we do it, because I believe we're using Altiplay, same thing, right? So if you draw up 2.2 mils of sterile water and then you inject that into the powdered solution and you just swirl it. So one of the things when you're, if you're at the bedside and you're administering TPA for an emergency, you have to let it dissolve very gently. It's not like Zosin that you can shake up to get it to dissolve faster. You absolutely cannot do that. TPA has to be treated 
with very gentle hands, okay? You don't want any bubbles. You don't want it agitated. So you just gently swirl your tiny little TPA vial. And then using a filter needle, you're going to pull that solution up into your syringe. I like to pull it up into a 10 mil syringe, even though it's only a tiny amount. That's how we clear our lines. So you've got two mils in your 10 mil syringe. You can get rid of your filter needle and then you're gonna attach that to the end of your clogged line and just very gently try to kind of push it in there. And if it doesn't push right away, you can do all these other things to try to get it to go. Sometimes just leaving it be for a minute will get enough of that TPA activated in there that you can start to push it through. And then once it's in the line, it's like two mils, right? So it's just going to sit in the line. It's not going to cause the patient to go have a hemorrhagic stroke. And it has a very short half-life anyway. So you're going to wait like half an hour or so. Come back. You want to pull that out of the line. So you're going to pull back, you know, around five mils or so. Make sure you got everything out of the line. And then you flush your line really well. And it works again. So that is the catheter clearance protocol kind of routine that you follow using TPA to keep your lines clear. And then just as a recap, the other few were for a clot in the coronary arteries, a blood clot in the lungs, or blood clot in the brain for ischemic stroke. And of course, for that blood clot in the limb that is causing that acute ischemia. So just a quick word about that method of TPA administration. Typically how this works is that the patient will go down to interventional radiology and they will place a catheter directly into that vessel and the patient will come back to the critical care unit with TPA dripping into that vessel right at the spot of that clot with the hopes that it will break up the clot enough that the patient can go back to IR typically the next day and they can pull it out. But you'll still want to follow all the same precautions, watch for bleeding, watch for any neurological changes, and you'll be sending serial labs as well, coagulation labs and fibrinogen labs, and then your TPA infusion often is coupled with a heparin infusion, you'll be adjusting the rates based on what those lab results are. So there you guys go. You've learned some basics about TPA, the ways that you're going to administer it or the conditions you're going to administer it for, some of the contraindications for giving it, how frequently you're going to do those neurological exams, and some things that you're going to watch for. So you're ready. You could go take a test on stroke or pulmonary embolism management and get all of your TPA questions correct. Here, I just check in with you guys and see how you're doing. I'm honestly having a really rough time right now. I'm exhausted. I'm in graduate school, for those of you that know that. I'm working full-time three days a week, typically three in a row, bam, I just like to get it done. And then the rest of the week, I'm either doing stuff for school or stuff for the website. And like last week, I really, I hit the wall. I hit the wall so hard. So I thought about how can I keep going because I've hit this wall. I either have to stop 
or I have to find a pace that I can maintain because school isn't going away anytime soon. I'm going to be in graduate school for another two years. So I will be making some changes over at straightanursingstudent.com probably not until I'm on break because I don't have time to address it now, but I'm going to reorganize the website so that its back-end functionality for me is a lot easier, and then it'll actually be a lot easier for you to find the things that you're looking for. So that will be good because I spend a lot of time doing stuff on the backside that I think I can streamline and make a lot more effective. So that's good. And then while I'm in school, instead of putting up a blog post one week and then a podcast the next, I'm going to put up a combo blog pod every two weeks. And that I think is a pace that I can keep up while school is in session. So, and I I hear from you guys, I think most of you read the, or don't read the blog as much when school is in session either. You listen to the podcast because you can do it while you're on the run. So that change is happening now as we speak. So if you've noticed a little bit of a different posting, that's why. And then the other thing is with the planners, I love the printed planners. I've got a whole bunch of them to sell. They're so beautiful, you guys. Not sure if I'll keep doing them as pre-printed ones in the future. I might. I need to look at some options and I want to look at all of that before I make a final decision, but I've just given you a heads up that there is a chance that in the future there might just be the digital version that you guys have been getting for a while. Possibly we'll keep doing it pre-printed. I'm not sure. I really just got to look at my options and see how that works out. But there are just a few little changes. You'll see the website start looking a little different. Don't panic. We're not taking anything away. Everything will be there. It'll just be reorganized. So I think I'll do that in January when I'm on break and when a whole bunch of you are on break as well. So there's that. And then if school is tough for you right now and you are a first semester student, I want to remind you that I have tons of notes available on the website. Actually, I have notes for MedSearch 1, MedSearch 2, Anatomy and Physiology, OB, PEDS, and Mental Health, I believe. Mental Health I have as well. So they're all there. Now, a lot of them are just the notes I took in nursing school. I didn't go back and change the typos. I didn't go back and do anything. I just said, here you go. So they're there. They're not perfect and they're not beautiful. There are perfect and beautiful versions for MedSearch 1. And there's actually more topics of the perfect, beautiful version for MedSearch 1 because I've added things. So you can go to study guides and there's like great study guides. And then there's an even better study guides tab or something like that. And look at the, there's like free ones. And then there's the perfect, beautiful ones that I sell as a bundle for super cheap. And you guys, they're amazing. So check that out if you're struggling and if you're having a hard time taking really awesome notes, my notes are the bomb. I'm just saying. And then I wanted to just um, give you a little pep talk and tell you you're doing great and hang in there, take care of yourself. I know that's one of the hardest things to do. Um, I'm facing that myself right now. I am going to try to go for a walk if I can get myself out there before the sun starts to come down. It gets a little harder in the fall and the winter with the the earlier sunset, but I'm going to try to get outside and at least breathe some fresh air and be in nature. So that's going to be my one thing this week that I'm doing for myself, though I did get my nails done today and they they look kind of awesome. But I just wanted to try to help you keep that focus of doing something kind for yourself, 
listen to the podcast while you're taking a walk or while you're doing your Pilates routine or whatever. Um, Get outside, drink good water, eat good food, laugh, do something that you find joy in once a week, even if it's for 30 minutes, you need a little bit of time for you. So that's my pep talk and that's my update. And again, thank you so much for spending your precious spare minutes with me and learning a little bit about thrombolytic TPA. And I hope that it helped you and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks. Oh, look at that. Time's done. Have a great week, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by straightanursingstudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.